As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me, Father in heaven. Uh, on this Sunday that uh, follows a day of national thanksgiving and a Sunday where we begin this church year time of Advent, of thinking about the Advents of our Lord Jesus, the significance, what it means for the history of mankind and for us particularly at this moment. So we pray now that we would hear your word and receive it, not as the word of men, but what it is, as the word of God, that we wouldn't be at all led astray to listen to any other voice other than yours, as it comes to us by the scripture, in the scripture, by way of the Holy Spirit. So please now help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please. Uh, to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and uh, chapter 6, please. 2 Corinthians and chapter 6, please. I want to read verses 1 through 13. 2 Corinthians and chapter 6, please. Uh, <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. Working together with him, that is with God, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says... In a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. With no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, Sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we're treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Now, this is always the Sunday I call Advent 1. It's the first Sunday of Advent. That's what I have at the top of every page that I work from uh, during this week. Advent 1. It's the first Sunday. Uh, we celebrate, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this, the, the prophets. And we think about the prophets who proclaimed that which was to come. Not only that which was to come, but who it was who would be coming. The Messiah, the Christ. And uh, so as we read through the Old Testament and we read the prophets particularly, we find them coming to the people of Israel and, 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 and appealing to them to repent of their sins and to trust and believe. And then they're given, we're given, this great hope of this one who is to come, 
uh, to save his people from their sins, to bring light to them so that they would be able to see clearly who God is and who they are and the salvation that God brings and, and the great work that the Messiah will come in his rule and his reign, his conquering of sin and death and his ruling and reigning over his people. And the ultimate then even the prophets see, the ultimate coming of this one who will come and, and, and restore all things. Uh, it's, it's a marvelous picture that the prophets give to us. And providentially, I say that because we just happened upon chapter 6 in 2 Corinthians, that's where we happen to be, uh, Paul quotes Isaiah in the midst of this. I read it earlier to you as uh, this one, really it's, it's a word of, from God to the Messiah saying that you're going to come and there's going to be a favorable day, a day of my grace, and you will be a covenant to my people, that the Jesus is the covenant. When we think of God's covenant, we think of his vows, his promises to us, how he will relate to his people. God relates to his people by way of covenant. Uh, last Sunday, we talked about God being our friend and he will make known to us his covenant. He will share with us his secrets, if you will, how it is that we know him and how it is that we relate to him. So it's no surprise that Jesus is the covenant of God. In Jesus, we see the truth of God. In, see, in Jesus, we see the history of God with his people. In, in Jesus, we, we hear him make his promises, his vows to save us. Uh, in, in Jesus, we realize the sanctions of breaking those vows. It's death. We see that in Jesus and the death of Jesus for us. And yet we see the great blessings of forgiveness of sins, of knowing God, of his presence with us. So Jesus, the very covenant of God. And, and Paul cites that very chapter, Isaiah chapter 49, that speaks of this one who will come. And, and this is the favorable day. Now is the time to believe, right? Because now he really has come. But, but what Paul is doing here, and I think it's helpful for us to see, this is really, this is really his MO at the moment. What Paul's doing here is he's aligning himself with this prophetic tradition. In essence, he's saying, Isaiah spoke the word of God to you. I speak the word of God to you. Isaiah made appeals to you. I make appeals to you to believe this, to follow this. The appeal uh, that Paul makes with them, we see in these, this, opening, uh, this opening verse, that they're not to receive the grace of God in vain. Not to receive the grace of God in vain. And why would he say that? Well, he goes on to say, well, because the Messiah has come. The grace of God has appeared. And when Paul writes to Titus, he says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. The grace of God has come in Jesus. In Jesus, God's grace has come. His, his grace of forgiveness, his grace of acceptance uh, by who we are, but by who he is. And, and so he says, don't receive this grace now uh, in vain. So the question is, what's that mean? What was he asking of them? What was he appealing for them not to receive the grace of God? How does one receive the grace of God uh, in vain? And we don't believe, and I, I can mount this by other scriptures, we don't believe that Paul was saying, you've received the grace of God, you've been reconciled to God, be careful so that you don't get unreconciled to God. Okay? 
Be, be careful that you don't get disenfranchised, you, get, you don't get cast out in that sense. So, so we don't think he's saying that you've received it, you've been reconciled, and now God's fickle enough to cast you out. Now, you, you got reconciled not on anything you did, but on the basis of Christ. And so how could he kick us out since we didn't kick us in on the basis of ourselves? And, and so we don't think, think that. So, so how is it that a group of people to whom Paul is writing, this church in Corinth, could receive the grace of God in vain? Surely, perhaps we could say, it may mean that there are some there in the church, like there is always in the gathering of Christians, there are always those who really have yet to believe. You know, Jesus told that what I call scary parable, Parable of the sower, we call it really as the parable of the soils, I suppose. But you might remember that he said the, the word goes out and there's some who give the appearance of having received it. But then when difficult times come or then when the worries of the world come or then when, when persecution comes on account of their faith, we see there's, there's no real faith there. You go, oh. That would be receiving the grace of God, if you will, receiving the message of it, having the message of it, and in vain. It has no, no real ultimate impact, purpose in your life to fulfill the purpose of bringing salvation to you. The author of, author of Hebrews, he's writing to a church, it appears, and he's warning them all the time. Clearly, he has a sense, the author of Hebrews does, to the church to whom he's writing, uh, this sermon, really, that he preaches, that uh, they, they're believers, but yet he has a sense they're really not living that out. And, and that's a sense, too, in which perhaps we can receive it in vain, that we receive it, but we're not really living it out. He says, the author of Hebrews does in Hebrews chapter 2, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. He said, don't drift away from it. To drift away from this great message, to drift away from the grace of God, is foolish. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't neglect this great salvation. And you say, well, how can we neglect this great salvation? And I would just put it back to you and put it back to me. Do you really have to ask that question? And don't you know, in seasons of your own life, you wake up and you say, whoa. I've neglected this great salvation. I haven't been walking with the Lord as I ought to be walking with the Lord. Does that surprise you? That anyone would say, don't neglect it? Preacher would say, don't neglect it? I I don't think it doesn't surprise me to need to hear that message. Don't receive this grace in vain but to apply everything in your life to it to live in it to live in the wonderful forgiveness that you have to live in the wonderful power of the Holy Spirit that you have don't neglect that live this out in fact, you might remember when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth the first time where we had the first letter, at least our first time, our first letter to them. He, he, he tells them, he says, you know, you're living like people who really don't have the gospel. The way he puts it is, you're still living in the flesh. You should be living in the spirit. First Corinthians chapter 3. 
And, and it isn't that they weren't spiritual people. It isn't that they weren't saved. It isn't that they hadn't received the grace of God, but, but they weren't living like it. And Paul shakes them up. And he says, stop that. <laughs> Live according to the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God. You're spiritual people. Let me explain to you what that means to live as spiritual to live as spiritual people. And even here he's concerned about them because false teachers have come into Corinth now and, and, and they're beginning to be, uh, their ears tickled by these false teachers. And he says, how can you do that? How can you follow after them? Uh, if you do, then you will have received the grace of God in vain. They will now lead you uh, astray. They won't lead you in the life. Because you see, there's a relationship between truth, the truth of the scripture, and that's being able to walk with the Lord. If we fall under, if we come under teachers who are teaching that which is false, it will damage our walk with the Lord. And so we're always after, we should always be after, that which is true. Trying to find teachers who teach the truth, reading through the scripture, learning the truth, so that we follow. If, if, we, if we're listening, reading, listening to that which is not true... It will affect us. And Paul is saying, don't follow after those teachers. I've come as the apostle of God. I've come in this prophetic tradition. What I say, this is an amazing statement, but he's an apostle. What I say is true. If you follow any other gospel, then you should be accursed. Don't do that. Don't, don't receive the grace of God uh, in vain. One author puts it like this. He says, for them to receive the grace of God in vain meant that their practice did not measure up to their profession as Christians and that their lives were so inconsistent as to constitute a denial of the logical implications of the gospel, namely and in particular that Christ died for them so that they may no longer live to themselves but to his glory. You see, Paul had just said to them, hey, I'm compelled by the love of Christ. Look what he's done. He's died, so my sins are forgiven. He's risen so that I'm justified. And, and knowing that, thinking about that, I, I'm compelled now to stop living for myself, but to live for him, to his glory. It doesn't that make sense? That's what this author says. That's the logic of the gospel. Doesn't that simply make sense? To do otherwise is to live nonsensically. And, and I have to confess, I, I do live that way at times. And I do need to be told, wait a minute. The grace of God has come to you, Bill. Why are you living like this? Why are you thinking like this? Why are you talking like this? Why are you feeling like this? Don't, don't receive it in vain. Receive it as it's meant to bring joy to your life, forgiveness to you, power that you might live. So, so don't, don't let the grace of God come to you in vain, you see? Another author puts it like this. He said, it would be received in vain if the soul did not, on the basis of it, proceed to build up the new life in new purity and power. In other words, it received it in vain if you didn't, as Paul put it in another occasion, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it's God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, the grace of God has come to us. And, 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 and now let's 
be diligent. Let's apply ourselves. Let's be conscious of the fact the grace of God has come. And let's apply ourselves to living in such a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, Titus puts it like this. I just mentioned this a moment ago. Titus, Paul mentioned, Paul writes to Titus. Um, Titus in chapter 2. I'm going to read it because if I quote it, I'll quote it out of the NIV. And I like it better in the ESV. Uh, Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. That's it. And so let's get after it. And, and you get the sense that the people in Corinth, because of the false teachers and others being led astray, they weren't applying themselves as they should. Uh, another author puts it like this. He says, and this is, this is I, I, I'm going to quote this because I like it, obviously, but I really like this one, all right? Um, <clears throat> he says, an evangelical profession and an immoral life are the ugliest combination of which human nature is capable. Right? Listen to that. I wish I could have just said it and not quoted someone because it sounds so good you'd be very impressed. But someone else said it. An evangelical profession and an immoral life are the ugliest combination of which human nature is capable. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Can any of us hide that word in our heart and live on as if it meant nothing at all. Wow. You know that's true. I know that's true. Right? How could we say these things? How could we hide these things? And how can we know these things by the grace of God? And yet act as if it means nothing to us. Nothing to us at all. So to receive the grace of God in vain could mean a number of things. But I think to the people in Corinth and probably to us as a church, to me personally, since I've received the grace of God, since I've been reconciled to God, since that's the context it seems to be about the people in the church in Corinth, how do I, what does this mean? How do I receive, how could I receive the grace of God in vain? Well, to ignore it. To spend days of my life, weeks of my life, months of my life, years of my life, really ignoring it. Acting as if it isn't true. And, and what would I be missing? I would be missing real forgiveness, knowing it. Real assurance. I'd be missing knowing God's face has really shined upon me. The great blessing that we gave last week and might this week, depending on what I'm thinking about at the end of the service. Uh, what strikes me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Could there be any other blessing, any greater blessing than that? That's the blessing of Jesus, the covenant. I'm with you always. The Lord is with you. His face is towards you. His shining face is towards you. His favorable face is towards you. Whatever's happening in your life isn't the punishment of God upon you, but it's the favorable grace of God, the shining face of God upon you to ultimately bless you. You see, and he promises to keep us 
always his face shining upon us. So, so, so to take to the grace of God in vain is, is to miss all of that. To, 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 to receive the grace of God in vain is, is to deny its power in us, to deny its power to say no to ungodliness, as Paul writes to Titus. It's to, it's to neglect that, that power of God uh, to say no to ungodliness. And, and again, when we talk about repenting from sin and leaving it and walking in holiness and godliness, uh, we're not saying something. The Bible isn't saying something that's, that, that, that's bad for us. It's good for us. Turning away from sin is logical. It's saying, I know what is out to kill me. My sin is out to kill me. It's out to destroy me. I know it feels really good from time to time, but, but really its ultimate goal is to destroy me. And, and so the good news of the gospel is that, that the power of God has come to us by the Holy Spirit, reconciled to God, we receive the Spirit, and, and breaks the power of sin so that we can walk with him. Do we do it perfectly? No. Is it a struggle? Yes. Is it a sanctifying process, a holifying process? Yes. It's all of that. But Paul says it's a great life. It's a good process to repent, to believe, to repent, to believe. That, that process and living that out, you see. Don't stop, Paul's saying. Continue on in this. I know these flashy teachers are telling you all is well and, and you'll be healthy and wealthy and all of that. And, 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 and that's true. A day will come when that all will be true in glory. But for now, you're living this life here. And so live it out in the context of repentance, in the context of believing, in the context of walking this out. So, so don't neglect that. If you do that, you will have received the grace of God in vain. It won't be helpful to you in the course of, in the course of your life. Now, how do we know that Paul's right about that? How do we know that Paul's right about that? Well, he, he quotes a prophet, and, and the implication is I come in the same, the same prophetic uh, tradition that, uh, that I speak for God as they spoke for God. You can trust me. But the people in Corinth didn't trust Paul. Because the new teachers had come. The new apostles had come. They were flashier than he was. They looked better than he did. He was always suffering. He was always in trouble. He, and all of that, the life that he lived. And they, I think they looked at the life of the, of the, um, uh, the TV. They weren't TV preachers. But, but, but the, uh, uh, the, the super apostles. And they said, I want to look like that. I want to have that kind of life. And they looked at Paul and they said, I don't want to look like that. And I don't want that kind of life. That he's lived. And Paul says, well, wait a minute. It's this life that I have lived by faith in the Son of God. By preaching Jesus as Lord and me as your servant for Christ's sake. It's this life that is that gives me the real credential. Uh, that says I really am an apostle. It's, it's, this, it's this life. It's a life of, yes, suffering, a life of difficulty. But when you look at my life, it's, I commend it to you because, because it shows you that you can really trust what I have to say. Now, as I came to that point, as I'm thinking through this passage, I said, well, is that, that even a legitimate question for me to ask? Can I even ask? Should I trust Paul? I mean, doesn't the, doesn't the Holy Spirit 
witness to my spirit that the Bible's true. And it does that in a variety of ways. The Holy Spirit does, obviously. As I read it, it rings true. As I read it, I see my life in it. As I read it, there's hope there. It fills me and satisfies and all of that. But but just from a, uh, this sense, can, can, can I really ask the question, is there evidence that Paul really is an apostle? And the answer is yes. Like, it's a legitimate question. Because he answers it. Because it was a question for them. And he deals with it in the scripture. So there's a sense in which we need to have confidence, just like they did, in Paul. And God's work through him. To say, yeah, he, I can trust this word that comes, that comes from him. You know, there's people I run into uh, today, mostly on, you know, sit beside on airplanes and, and uh, they ask me what I do for a living. And I tell them that either means they change their seat or it means that they tell me they have an uncle who's a pastor or a neighbor who's a pastor or somebody else. I don't know why that's important to them, for, to me, to know they know somebody, some other pastor in the world. Uh, or they begin to ask me questions or they begin to give them their opinions of the Bible. And one opinion that I get from time to time uh, is that I've had people look at me and say, well, you know, I don't mind Jesus. I just don't like Paul. And, you know, I would say, I'm sure Jesus is happy to hear that you don't mind him. But uh, I just don't like Paul, you know, because Paul does. He, is, he does cut. Uh, this is true in every generation. But there's this, some people feel a certain harshness about him. Some people don't like uh, what he has to say about, about marriage, husbands and wives, and headship and submission, or about, about the roles of men and women, especially in the culture in which we live, or certainly sexuality in these days, his passage in Romans 1, and uh, come into, under fire. I just don't like that. Uh, about him. And, and then, of course, his, his, the gospel that he preaches concerning uh, what we refer to as election or being chosen or predestination or, or that we're the, 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 the clay and God is the potter and he can do anything he wants with us. Uh, takes away our autonomy, our self-determination. It cuts against our pride. This is exclusivity of the gospel. This is the only way of salvation. And all of that, of course, again, cuts against our own self, what we think is our own self-determination. And, and so, so, so people don't like that when they when they when they read Paul, and and so this passage is helpful to us because it gets at his very heart. And just as he commended himself this way to them, he commends himself this way to us. So it's helpful, I think, for us just to take a, a peek at his life. What we see here, of course, is is a transformed life, a life that has received the grace of God. Not in vain. That has received the grace of God in such a way that it's had its full effect in him. This, as we read Paul, is what Jesus described as having life and having it abundantly. You know, the great expression that Jesus uses in John has it for us in John chapter 10. That the evil one, Satan, the devil comes to steal and destroy. But I've come, Jesus says. You might have life and have it abundantly. Now, I'm thinking glory, right? I'm thinking the abundant life that will be true. No more tears, no more sadness, no more grief, no more poverty, no more pain. You know, wonderful life in the presence of the Lord. And Jesus means starting now. 
Even now, there's an abundant life. Even now, Paul's living that. And what we see isn't just simply in his suffering, but how he suffers. His suffering shows that he believes Jesus is worth it. His suffering shows that he loves this group of people to whom he brings the gospel and suffers in this way. And all oh, that's wonderful and all oh, that's great. But there's a, there's a way in which he suffers. He suffers joyfully. He suffers triumphantly. We could even say he suffers sweetly. I mean, there's, there's a certain contentment even in the midst of, of this life that he lives. And while none of us may want to sign up for his suffering, all of us wants to sign up for this triumph, for this joy. And that's the transformation. Is if you receive the grace of God, not in vain, this is what it produces. See, when Paul commended himself, he didn't commend himself by ways that we think he would have commended himself, by ways we might commend ourselves. He didn't talk about his degrees. He didn't talk about his, his heritage. He didn't talk about his, his, his nationality. He didn't talk about what he talked about was something he called great endurance. His perseverance. And the way he persevered, the way he continued on. And of course, he tells them all of this because, because what he wants to say to them is that if you're struggling in your faith, it's not because of me. I didn't put any obstacle in your way. I lived in such a way that, 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 that I didn't put any obstacle. I didn't make it easy for you not to believe. I, I came to you and, and, and there's nothing in my life that's the obstacle. The obstacles in your affections they want to be unequally yoked with unbelievers, as we'll see in verse 14. It's not because of my affection for you. It's your affections. You rejected me. I didn't reject you. I put no obstacles in your way. And of course, I actually don't know anybody but Paul who can actually say that. That, that I haven't done anything that might block your way of knowing Christ. It doesn't mean that Paul never offended people. He offended people all the time, but the gospel offends. So he never took out the offense of the gospel. The offense that says we're sinners. The offense that says we're lost. The offense that says we're under the wrath of God. The offense that says we can't save ourselves. The offense that says only God can save us. We must trust in him and yield to him. So that offense, clearly people were offended by that because people threw stones at Paul after he told them that. That was a result of they being offended. They imprisoned him. They kicked him out of town. They tried to kill him. So there's offense. But he said, not by my life in following Christ. Your wanderings aren't my. Because here's my life. And I say to me, don't I want to live that way? Don't I want to live in such a way that I don't, I don't hurt anybody? I don't, I don't keep anybody from the faith because of the life I live. Paul said, that's so important to me that I, I train myself like a boxer trains. So that I won't be disqualified. I, I live in such a way conscious of you, conscious of others. Isn't that the goal of parents? I mean, don't, don't we desire our kids 
to be reconciled to God. And so we want to live our lives in such a way that we'll draw them to the faith and not turn them away. They may be turned away, but don't you want to be able to be in the presence of God and say, I didn't, I didn't turn them away. It was in my life. Don't we want to live that way? Don't we want to live that way for our spouses? Don't we want to live that way for our friends who are unbelievers? I think we do. Of course we don't. We don't live perfectly and that's the good news of the way we live out this gospel of repentance and confession and receiving forgiveness and hearing this word and believing it, walking in it. But I think you hear the heart of the apostle here. But notice his life just very quickly. We don't have a lot of time. Very quickly. He gives 28 different items here. Um, 28 different items. It just sort of piles it on as he speaks about, about his life to them. And he says, he says, we commend ourselves in every way. And some of these, there's a group of these that are, that are, that he's passive in, if you will, passive in the sense that these are things that happen to him. And then there are active things, things that, that he brings upon and he lives out and, 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 and himself. And there are certain virtues that the Holy Spirit has worked in him that enables him to live, uh, this particular way. And, and then he describes, uh, uh, the way that he does his ministry. And then he describes, uh, various circumstances in his life just very quickly. He says, by way of great endurance. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. You probably don't know this, but about a month and a half ago, I tried to find this verse during a sermon and I couldn't. Uh, I faked it. Uh, but this is what I was looking for. Uh, so if you remember me fuddling around, it was, I was looking for this. Uh, Revelation 1, 9. You know the situation in Revelation, John's on the island of Patmos, exiled. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. So if you're worried about whether the tribulation is going to come, John was living in it. So are we. Um, It might get more difficult, but still. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. So for John, this great endurance, this patient endurance was just a part of life. It's how he described his life. I'm in the tribulation. I live in the world. I'm in the kingdom of God. So what, how would I describe my life? I describe my life as patient perseverance, patient endurance. I'm enduring all the difficulties of this life patiently, contentedly, knowing a day will come when the Lord will return. So, so that describes our life. It describes Paul's life, this sense of great endurance. And, and, and no, notice what he's enduring through. These things that come, afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots. All those things come to him because of the life he lives. In chapter 11, he gets into this in being more explicit. In, in verse 22, he's comparing himself again with these false apostles that are in Corinth, he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman, he says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst without food and cold and exposure. And apart from the other things is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He says, this is the life I've lived. Uh, This is the life I've lived. Uh, Afflictions, the pressures, the hardships, the calamities. Everywhere I go, it seems like riots break out. I've been beaten. Can you imagine this? In prison so many times. Riots happen just as I preach. All this was happening to Paul because he was an ambassador of Jesus. And he wanted to speak on behalf of Christ. And when he spoke on behalf of Christ, the, the way that they treated Christ was the way that they treated him. And, and he experienced that and he, and he knew that. So how did he endure this? How did he endure this? Well, he did because he had hope. Great hope. He, he knew it was true. He had said to a group of people on one occasion, at least one occasion, one occasion we have it recorded, it's through many hardship, many tribulation, many afflictions that we enter the kingdom of God. It's just true for us. Various and sundry kinds of ways. But you know, he knew that Jesus had said, in the world you'll have tribulation. But I've overcome the world. So you can endure this. I've overcome the world. You can endure this. Paul believed that he received that, that grace. Through a labor, sleepless nights, and hunger. These are things that resulted because of his own choosing, really. His labors, really, his, his weariness from all of his work. You know, Paul worked and worked and worked. He made tents to support himself so others didn't have to. And, and then he, he labored in the ministry as well, which meant that he spent many sleepless nights, no doubt. This wasn't insomnia. This was the fact that he was doing something during these nights when he should have been sleeping because he was making tents during the day and he was doing ministry in the evenings and at night probably. And so he had to think about it and write these letters and do these things. And so, uh, so there he was, many sleepless nights, hunger, not from fasting for religious purposes, but because he didn't have the money to eat or he just didn't have time to eat. He was just too busy. And so all of these things affected him. And then he says, here's, here's, the, the, here's what happened within me. By purity, that is, by real integrity, knowledge, I, I knew the Lord. He taught me. I was patient to listen to him. And I sat in such a way at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of the other apostles at times. And I read the scripture, the Old Testament scripture, and I, I, I knew him. And in patience and kindness, Doing good to others. The Holy Spirit who worked all these things in me. Genuine love, that is, I really did love you. And then here was sort of my method by truthful speech, or really literally by the word of truth. He said, I brought the word of truth to you uh, in the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. He said, he said yes, I am I, clothed with the righteousness of Christ but he's working that righteousness in me. And just as he had the weapons of warfare described in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, I got them in my right hand. I got a sword in my right hand, a shield in my left. The sword is the word of God. The shield is faith. And I, and I can therefore handle anything. Uh, handle anything with the word of truth, telling myself the truth and telling others the truth, and, and faith 
I know that I can, I can, I can handle anything. God really is, is, is with me. And then notice how he describes his life. He says, through honor and dishonor. He says, there's sometimes when people are affirming me and some people who affirm me and sometimes it's, I'm, I'm just viewed, as he put it, as the scum of the world. So he says, it doesn't matter whether I'm being honored or whether I'm, I'm not. He says, through slander and praise, he says, sometimes people unjustly accuse me of things and they tell all their friends and, 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 and slander flies. And then other times, there are people who give me praise. My suspicion is sometimes they're the same people and they move from one point to the other. And he says, we're treated as imposters, yet we know we're true. They think I'm a deceiver. They don't think I'm an apostle, but yet I know I'm true. As unknown, yet as well-known. Paul went from an A-list Pharisee, right, to an unknown follower of Jesus. People didn't care about. Uh, he said, well, yes, of course, I gave all that, gave all that up to follow, uh, to follow Christ. As dying and behold, we live. He said, listen, the life I'm living is killing me. It's just killing me. But I keep cheating death. I keep waking up. I keep having more work to do. I'd rather die and be with the Lord, but for your joy, I'll stay. And here I am. And so I, here I am. I'm still alive. Look at, look at this. As punished, better chastised, even by the Lord, but I'm not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Paul, Paul knew sorrow. He knew deep sorrow. He knew he knew friends who had turned away. He, had, he knew churches he had planted where heresy had snuck in. He knew the great dangers the believers faced. And he was grieved by it, sorrowful. And yet at the same time, he was able to rejoice because he knew that he belonged to the Lord and he knew that the Lord would triumph over all this. Poor, yet making many rich. He had nothing, as far as we know, Paul, all Paul had was his parchments and his tools for making tents. But he said, I make other people rich with what I teach them. I have nothing yet I possess everything. Now, now quite frankly, as I read through that, Probably none of us would like dishonor, slander, being called imposters, being unknown, dying, punished, sorrowful, poor, or having nothing. <laughs> you know, if that was your only list, you'd go, rats. Uh, I, that's not what I really wanted. But Paul said, well, yeah, I had that. But, but, but notice this. At the same time, he says, I'm honored. I'm praised. By God, I'm true. I know that, that, that what I have is true. I'm, I'm known by God. I'm living. I'm not yet killed. I'm rejoicing. I make many rich. I possess everything. We go, we want that. And he says, all right, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Live in it. Live in it. We see this grace of God. It's laid out for us here on this table. You remember the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread after giving thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, 
which is given for you in the same way. The scripture tells us he took the cup and after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. The apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread, drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we're proclaiming is that the grace of God has appeared. What we're seeing at this table is that the grace of God is here for us. The grace of God is here for us. And the appeal is, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Receive it. Believe it. Receive, know the forgiveness that comes. Know the reconciliation that comes. Know sins forgiven. Know the power of Christ by his spirit in you to say no to ungodliness, to follow after him. Know his grace to enable us to endure all kinds of afflictions, all kinds of hardships, all kinds of calamities, right? To to be willing to labor on his behalf and even to suffer hunger and weakness. To be willing to be unknown, to be known by him. to be willing to be slandered for the name of Christ, knowing his acceptance of you, knowing that you may have nothing, yet everything. Uh, Receive the grace of God. Let's pray, Father, pray for me, for us. That you will enable us to receive your grace. To cling not to ourselves, as we sang in that song, but to cling to Christ alone. That this word that abides in us will produce its fruits. Help us to persevere to endure, to thrive, perhaps with nothing that the world values, but having everything that you value. So take this bread, take this juice, set it apart in such a way that we know that we're in the presence of Jesus, that he has come. And that he's lived, that he's died, that he's risen, that he reigns. And that he will return. And that in in him we are reconciled to you. May we receive grace. And this I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Remind you, this table isn't the table of grace. Evangelical Presbyterian Church It's the table of the Lord. He invites to it.
All those who need grace. All those who know themselves to be sinners in the sight of God without hope except in his sovereign mercy. And all those who receive and depend upon our Lord Jesus as he's offered to us in the gospel as the savior of sinners. And then again, all those who need grace. You know you can't. You know he did. And now, you know, life is walking with him. That's true for you. Please come. If it's not, you can come and walk by, look at the elements. If not, you can stay at your seat. True for you. Please come. These two sections can go down this aisle to my left. These two down the aisle to my right. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and just tell yourself, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Please come.
draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then together pray this Advent prayer. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, now in the time of this mortal life in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, We may rise to life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit now and ever. Amen. We have two responses to our benediction this morning. The one traditional response, Christ has come. Christ is coming again. Hallelujah. And then to sing together the doxology. Please receive this as the benediction of God. Now may the Lord bless you. And may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, Christ has come. Christ is coming again. Hallelujah. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.